Beloved, we open our Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I remind you, we were in the book of Acts last week for the morning and evening. And Acts is actually book 2. Luke is book one. Luke wrote them both. You'll see a very similar opening that I've very carefully brought together these eyewitnesses of all these things so that you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So keep in mind, we're, re we're back to book one of Luke's, Luke's two books. As we have them organized in our Bibles, that's not as obvious, but Acts is really book two, the second part. Uh, Acts is really about the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven, and now he is doing these works of building his church first through the apostles. Uh, book one is about the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth. Book two, he went back to heaven. He came from heaven to earth, book one, and preached the kingdom of heaven and then secured the way to go to heaven uh, through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. Uh, we're going to turn here to chapter two. We're going to read verses one through 14 together. I'm going to focus on verse seven, but we want to keep it in mind in context related to the response to Christ. But we're going to look at the humiliation of Christ. Uh, some could be wondering, oh, are you just late on your Christmas sermon, Pastor, as it's the middle of January? No, our church does not follow the ecclesiastical calendar. I won't get into a sermon about that, though there are many you could listen to. Uh, it just so happens that where we're reading in our family worship right now, we have uh, recently gone from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and there's something in our recent New Testament studies and family worship that I'd like to share with you today that frankly gave us all goosebumps. I, at least I know for that, and I we, we almost felt goosebumps as we read something, and I'd like to share that with you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. May God bless us as we have the word read, preached. We trust in the spirit, heard, believed, and responded to in faith and obedience. I want to highlight verse 
uh, seven uh, with you is what we'll focus on. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped in swaddling, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now that's reflected in what the angel says in verse uh, 12. This is how you'll know when you find him, when he tells the shepherds to go find him. It's interesting, I can't help, and I, I don't mean to be silly about this, uh, but I can't help but think when he, when he says Mary was great with child, she was close, you know? And uh, I can't help but think of my lovely wife, we've been commenting, you are great with child. I haven't said it that way, but I've said it other ways, pretty much daily, it's like, wow, you are growing, you know? And uh, we'll, we'll joke about it in different ways, but as you'll see her today, though I don't mean to make her the focal point and embarrass her, because pregnancy is such a lovely, beautiful thing, but towards the end, I always say to her, I forget, and she forgets, was I this big last time? I said, yeah, every time you are. And I said, but I forget, and then I see a lady that's close to be having the baby at a supermarket or something, and I always kind of like... You know, great with child. That child is ready to come into the earth, come into the world. And uh, so Mary was great with child about to birth Jesus. And uh, I would imagine she would have preferred a different way to bring the child into the world. You know, Fanon and I are even talking about as we look for uh, a tent making opportunity, whether we might want to stall and stagger it after the date, due date of the birth. So we assure everything is safe and what we're familiar with, with our present hospital and medical uh, service. You know, we're already talking about, uh, you know, as we do with all our babies, we even bought some clothes already, but wanting him to be safe and comfy and cozy. As you know, Gaius Ezekiel, uh, Lord willing, is coming to us in early March. And Fernanda has asked, uh, and I appreciate you ladies have been talking about a baby shower. Uh, she has asked for the baby shower, not a lot of lists of presents as the baby lists sometimes go, but simply uh, anyone might want to contribute to a, a bassinet that we can lay Gaius in in our room. Uh, partly, as you know, because uh, the Van Locos is a pretty large family community and uh, we're going to stall and stagger where he might be later on. And also there's just such a need to care for a little baby. It's helpful to have him in our room. And as we've had before, sometimes we need a new little bassinet. This is not a big advertisement, but the point of it is we're thinking about that all the time right now. And we're thinking about what would be the nice one. And I can guarantee you we are not looking for a bassinet for our son in a barn. It's certainly not something that would be used in the barn to put food in to feed an animal. You can imagine. I, I think you'd all probably want to have a talk with us if that's what we were going to. That's all right. We're just going to grab something out of the garage. We'll lay him there. Oh, we'll put a bed sheet over it, you know. She does say hopefully it'll be filled with diapers and wipes. That's the only other thing I'll throw out there. But whatever it will be, whatever it will be, it will be so nice in our modern culture and where we are blessed to live. Whatever it will be, it'll be so lovely for a little baby in which to be laid. That is in contrast with what we focus on in our text today, that Jesus was laid in a manger at his birth. It's cold. They don't have modern amenities that we have anyways. But what is a manger? You know, we get so used to hearing it, especially because of the time of year that this sermon is not related to. But often, oh, and it was laid in a manger. We all like to get our, oh, warm and cozy thoughts. And we completely miss this was not a pleasant experience. This is not what we would wish for our children. Let's not make it seem so sweet and warm and cozy. It may have been a silent night, but it wasn't a happy night. In this, in, in, at least in terms of where they had to lay their baby. They put them in a place 
where they would have had food and think of the animals spit and saliva all over it and filth that animals bring with everything where else their mouth goes. I'm sure they tried to sterilize it and clean it the best they could. This is where they lay down your Savior, your Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. And it's incredible to consider in a barn or a cave with animals all around them. That's not something we're planning on. Because there wasn't any place for him in the inn. There's literally more in the Greek. There was no place for him. There wasn't any rooms. Imagine if you're traveling with your wife and she's great with, and great with child and she goes into labor and there isn't any hotel room available. And on top of that, they're not even going to let you take out the, the closet where people tend to put their luggage and baggage. No place there. Booked. The best they have is you can go outside and use the shed and put the baby in a wheelbarrow, I guess. I don't think any of us would tolerate that. We would insist against it, whatever it takes. But this is where your Lord and Savior, the King of glory, this is where they laid him in a food trough for animals, amidst animals in a stinky, some kind of a barn or a cave. Beloved, Christ's entrance into the world was one of poverty and humiliation to prepare the way for his people to enter his royal heavenly kingdom with all its eternal riches. And it's a striking contrast, and it has to be that way. I give that to you as the main idea of our verse and its context with what we're focusing on. Christ's entrance into the world was one of poverty and humiliation to prepare the way for his people to enter his royal heavenly kingdom with all its eternal riches. John Piper has a, an article about why Jesus was in a manger, the meaning of the manger. I, I didn't actually have time to read it, but I liked one of the, uh, the clauses, our subtitles. He said, royalty in a trough. Royalty in a trough. That was the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. God Almighty, the Holy Child. Royalty in a trough. And the highest royalty there could ever be in really the lowliest way you could ever imagine to be laid after his birth. John Calvin says this about what we're looking at. When he, when Jesus was thrown into a stable and placed in a manger and a lodging refused him among men, it was that heaven might be opened to us. Not as a temporary lodging, but as our eternal country and inheritance, and that angels might receive us into their abode. Striking, isn't it? No room. Everything is closed to the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes to the earth, comes to the earth to open us up through himself, the veil of the true temple, the door into heaven of eternity and his father's house. Striking. May God give us eyes to see its infinitely higher value, this kingdom he's giving us that's not of this world. 
I want to share with you some lovely thoughts about this from Gertrude Hooksima's devotional book, Come Ye Children, a Bible storybook for young children. Uh, we recently, again, uh, finished reading through the Old Testament, and we've just begun to start reading through the New Testament, first learning about Zacharias and John the Baptist, uh, the connection overlapping with Malachi, but now we've read through uh, the early part of our Savior's life and his birth. And uh, she said a few things I'd like to share with you that we would particularly appreciate the humiliation of Christ in, in where they lay him after his birth and appreciate what it means. First thing she shares, one of the things she shares, she says this, uh, why didn't God let his own son be born in a beautiful palace? By the way, before I continue, this is for children. And imagine how the children hear these things, the way they've been responding to these things. Beloved, such is the kingdom of heaven. Dear children, as John says to his people writing in the, in the letter of John, dear children, let's hear this like that. Children. Why didn't God let his own son be born in a beautiful palace, a room fit for a king? Why did Jesus have to be born in a stable with only animals for company? Because it was God's picture. God's picture said that there was no room for Jesus in the wicked world, nor in the hearts of any wicked man. Only when God opens people's hearts is there any room for Jesus. Beloved, may your hearts be open to receive Jesus this day. Receive him anew and more deeply, if not for the first time. As I share this next quote that I want to share with you by Gertrude uh, Hooksma in this devotional for children. The angel gave the shepherds a sign. He said... Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That sign would help the shepherds find the baby Jesus. But that wasn't all. That sign taught the shepherds that Jesus could not be born in the rich palace of a king. He had to be born in a poor stable. For Jesus did not come to have the riches of this world. He came to show the riches of heaven, his love, his grace, and his mercy. And I highlight for you the part that gave us goosebumps, and I hope it does by the Spirit to you. Jesus being laid in a manger, an animal trough at his birth, shows he did not come to have the riches of this world. He came to show the riches of of heaven. And of course, to offer them to those who would believe on him. So verses 7 and 12 of our text, they show Christ's humiliation, born in a manger, a food trough for animals, in a barn or a cave, no place for him, no place with humans to be born and rest in. That humiliation. And it's yet contrasted with verses 8 and 14. Look at verses 8 to 14. That is the case, and we want to emphasize his humiliation, but because he's bringing us the riches of heaven. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in a swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, good will toward men. See, heaven is opened for the glorying of Christ in the manger by angels showing he would be the one to bring into heaven with the angels those who will trust in him. And everyone who comes to him will reject the riches of this world to have the riches of heaven because you can't have them both. It's one or the other. It's the kingdom of this world, it's the kingdom of Satan and where that's ending and all that it is empty of ultimately, though it gives you all the riches of this world to, to trick you to be in it, or it's the riches of heaven. It can't be both. We need to think of Moses as our example, a type of Christ. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 says this, by faith... Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Our Westminster Larger Catechism, number 46, says this, speaking in the context of Christ as the mediator of God, first in humiliation, then in exaltation. The estate of Christ's humiliation, this is question 46 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, the answer, the estate of Christ's humiliation was that low condition, wherein he, for our sakes, emptying himself of his glory, took upon him the form of a servant in his conception and birth. Life, death, and after his death, until his resurrection. Notice just the mere fact that he was born a human. Just the mere fact of taking on humiliation, who is the creator. Taking on, excuse me, humanity. Who is the creator is great humiliation. But there's something else to be said. Question 47 of the larger catechism. Christ humbled himself in his conception and birth in that being from all eternity the son of God in the bosom of the father he was pleased in the fullness of time to become the son of man made of a woman of low estate by the way before we go on when it says he shall be called a Nazarene remember in Matthew there's no prophet, prophecy to quote in the Old Testament it's a summary of the sense of all of the prophecies he shall be called a Nazarene that is he was born on the wrong side of the tracks you can have this in view I was in Pasadena with uh, Olivia yesterday bringing her back to college boy a lot of Pasadenas pretty nice 
But as we went to the place to buy groceries, that's the most affordable, you see a pretty stark change in contrast to another part of Pasadena. That's the idea is there's a different side of these places. And Jesus is born on the lowly side. And he's born of low estate to a woman of low estate. She's poor. Though she's blessed of the Lord, we know. The angel tells her, you will bear the Christ child. In and of herself, she's like nothing. Just as we are. She's, she's of low estate, though of the tribe of Judah. And then it answers, and to be born of her. Let me read again all of larger catechism 47. I interrupted there. Christ humbled himself in his conception and birth in that being from all eternity, the son of God in the bosom of the father. He was pleased in the fullness of time to become the son of man made of a woman of low estate and to be born of her with diverse circumstances of more than ordinary abasement. That last part is emphasizing in a manger, in a barn or a cave around animals, more than ordinary abasement. Most of humankind, no matter how poor, usually have something a little nicer. At least mom and dad's tent with some pillows or something. And keep the, the animals outside the tent for a while. So it's emphasizing his humiliation cons consisted in all these things of just being born in humanity, but also to a lowly woman in very unusual circumstances of humiliation. This is how God planned for where his son would be taken care of at his birth. And again, stop and consider how you plan, how we're planning for our son at his birth. And may it touch us and humble us. But it doesn't stay there. Question 51 of the larger catechism about his exaltation that follows. The estate of Christ's exaltation comprehends his resurrection, ascension, sitting at the right hand of the Father and his coming again to judge the world. The angel said he's going to come back the, the way he left. He's going to come on a cloud of glory. Everybody's going to know. Nobody will be missing that Jesus Christ is, comes back. And when he comes back, it's done. That's why we're told to watch and watch and watch. When he comes back, it will not be on a donkey this time. It will be on a white horse. It will be as the king that will destroy the nations of this world. He will take the earth back completely from Satan and consummate his kingdom, which he inaugurated at his first coming. He's going to be powerfully, mightily recognized as the son of God. But he comes to bring that into the lives of people in the church the first time on a donkey. Offering peace with God. While it can still be had before the final judgment, which he is the one who will be making it. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy toward us through this Christ child. Through the poverty, he enters the world and he gives us great, rich mercy. Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable. Imagine that as you would look on him. 
Without the aid of the angels and the revelation of God, imagine if you were to walk by going back to whatever place that you had found for the night and you see this poor baby lying in a place for food for animals and that poor family and you'd be having sadness. Maybe you would look away if you can't do anything about it. And yet in that Christ child that the world largely ignored and hated and ultimately killed are the riches of mercy of God. He confounds the wisdom of this world. Colossians 2 verse 3, Paul says of Christ, In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures or riches of wisdom and knowledge. When we were talking with Pastor Alex Tabaka at the LARPC Church, I mentioned to you this morning, yesterday, Olivia and I had a nice visit with him where she's attending worship. I graduated with him in seminary. He's working on his Ph.D. Even then, he was grading other students' papers for the systematics prof, and uh, they had thought maybe he'd be the guy. And uh, he's, he's very bright, and even some of his answers were, you can tell this, this man is well-read, but he's very humble about it. It's just the words that came through represent he's very studied. And, um, but he shared how he became a Christian in Rochester, New York, where he went to be a jazz saxophone major at the uh, uh, Institute, uh, excuse me, the Eastman School of Music, named after George Eastman, founder of Kodak, where, I, where I'm from, actually. And I forgot that about it when we were catching up. And I want to know, how did you become a Christian? Well, it was the witness of Bible studies, campus ministries, but as he studied the scriptures more, he realized the Lord would take him in a more reformed direction. But what was interesting is what really got him, he realized the scriptures were the answers to all the questions. He was a philosopher. The kinds of books of unbelief that he read uh, in high school, I'm surprised he read. I mean, really intense, heavy stuff. He didn't believe he was an atheist. He thought that was also foolish, but he kind of played the agnostic, knowing a lot of religions. But he said he was very hostile at first to the gospel witness of his Christian roommates. Very hostile, very philosophical. But actually what it showed is all study, all philosophy is actually theology because we're all made by God and everything's about God pointing to him. General revelation, Psalm 19, the heavens, the sun, and then special by his word and his law. And he said, I ended up just recognizing that the scriptures answered all the questions philosophy would not. Christ, in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This little baby that some wise men would come to see probably a couple years later because of the star. Thus, beloved, you who struggle humbly and suffer for him in this life to serve Jesus and the humiliation that can come with that from the world, he has these words for you especially as you would suffer in poverty for him. Revelation 2, verse 9. By the way, he is saying this to the church of Smyrna. So as as a church would suffer in poverty for him. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. How is that? Because we have Christ who's come to bring us the riches of heaven. And Revelation is about hold on, overcome, and you'll be rewarded with all the riches of heaven. Be mindful of this reality awaiting you in the resurrection. Let this mind be in you, Paul says, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And of course, that's being emphasized because that was reserved in Rome for criminals. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven of, and of things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Beloved, do not regret the cost you have counted and are paying for serving your king. Satan's going to hold it out there just as he did the temptation of our Christ in the wilderness. Just bow before me and I'll give you the riches of this world. I'll give you the nations. I'll give you everything. Satan's going to keep holding that out for you to get you to stray as well. Don't regret the cost you've counted and you're paying for serving the king of kings. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8 verse 18. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2. Jesus says to you Christians, you lowly, pathetic Christians, as far as the world is concerned, and that's evident in the Beatitudes at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. But he says, though that be the case of what the world thinks, what is the reality? Blessed. Blessed are you. And he says to you in John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there ye may be also. I come and I'm placed in a feeding trough for animals because I didn't come for the riches of this disgusting, broken down world. I came into the world to offer you the riches of my Father's kingdom in heaven. Here's what you have waiting for you for serving Christ's kingdom. Matthew 25, 23 and 34. His Lord said unto him, well done. 
Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Remember, Christ gives joy unspeakable. He gives an abundant life to live even in this world. He gives a peace to enjoy even now that is not of this world. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, which James says he's the father with heavenly lights. All gifts come from him. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Beloved, be motivated, considering that I think it's safe to say, as you would humble yourself before God, you would, I pray, be humbled, thinking about this humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ at his birth. Be motivated to remain humble and to be humiliated for Christ, considering that I think it is safe to say that all of you had a much better, better place for your birth and where your mother laid you at your birth. A hospital room, later your own room, or a nice corner of your parents' room, and a comfortable, clean place to sleep, likely your own special bassinet or crib, not on prickly, dry, dirty hay, but soft cotton sheets and cozy, fuzzy blankets with warm jammies and maybe even a machine to make lovely sounds to lull you to sleep. Jesus did not get that kind of royal baby treatment. There was no fanfare, as there is when a prince is born yet still in England. He didn't even get his own baby room, let alone his own bassinet to pass down to his siblings. Who knows how long later it wasn't rotting away or chopped up for firewood wasn't something that mom and dad want to hold on as an heirloom to pass on to their grandchildren. But that is because he didn't come to give you a puny, earthly kingdom with limited resources. Rather, Jesus came from heaven to take over the entire world and universe. And as the king of kings, Christ brings you the riches of heaven. And that is the message for you this morning. Christ brings you the riches of heaven. Again, he was laid in a manger, no room, no place for him. Why? Among other things, as Gertrude Hooksima wrote, Jesus did not have, excuse me, Jesus did not come to have the riches of this world. He was laid in a manger because he came to show you the riches of heaven. May you and I behold Christ the Lord beginning in his dirty manger and not want but reject with Moses the riches of this world because we prefer the reproach of Christ and the identity with his people and eternity in heaven as is said elsewhere in the Hebrew chapter 11 with all those who suffered for Christ throughout the generations and rebuked the world and was in it but not of it. Why? They were waiting for the city that was built by God. Beloved, as you think about where Christ was laid, remember why.
because Christ brings you, as the angels were declaring all around him, the riches of heaven. By God's grace, may you and I settle for nothing less for ourselves, for our children, for our church, for our nation, for the glory of God in Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, may we be truly humbled as we see your enormous humiliation in the manger. And let us more deeply be touched that that was also pointing to the horrible cross that you would suffer on and die after being beaten. The King of Kings, the Lord of Glory being beaten by the rulers of this world and the religious leaders of your church. The contrast is incredible, but may it also be as it is intended, unmistakable that you are Christ the Lord, that you are the Savior of the world, that you are the Lamb of God that takes away our sins, that you are the High Priest after the order of Melchizedek. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Christ is the only mediator between God and men. And we remember that you now sit on your throne from which you came. And we exalt you as the man, the risen Lord Jesus Christ in all your glory, as you would have us think of you now, every moment of the year. And we say together in the spirit as your bride, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and bring us into the riches of your glory for the meek shall inherit the earth through you our Lord and all your people 